0: Okay. So tonight I'm hoping we will have some interaction here. I will be opening, I will be posing some questions. I'd like to get your feedback on and, uh, I'm I'm really following the Holy spirit in this. This may at times see a little uneven. Um, normally I try to teach and preach in a way that is, uh, reasonably polished and, and, uh, Professional, But I don't know if that's going to be the case tonight, but that's okay, because we've got some important things to, to get into, and, and I really do want to, to interact here with you and get, get your input. Um, how many people can think of something that they believed five years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago about the kingdom of God that they don't believe now, and may, maybe even believe completely different? pretty much everyone, right? But do you remember how, and maybe this was the case with you, maybe it wasn't, but for some of us, what we believed back then, we were pretty adamant about, right? I mean, we would, it was a hill we would have died on in terms of the theology of it or something. But then over the course of time, God in his mercy, in his grace, brought revelation, brought people into our lives, and we learned and we grew and we started seeing things differently. and. And it was a wonderful thing, right? Well, um, there may be a little bit, at least, especially toward the end of, of tonight's teaching, where we get into some things that might be a little challenging to, to hear or to process or think about. But I'm, I'm just bringing this up now because I want to remind you that we don't have to be afraid to question things. We don't have to be afraid. You know, God is a big God he can handle our questions i was even um uh, just talking with a a person a few days ago who just lost her husband about uh 6 weeks ago uh, to als it was really uh, just a tragic unfortunate deal and and she was expressing her pain and sorrow to me and she was also expressing anger and she said i'm i'm just really angry with god and and um, I said, "Well, you know, he's big enough to handle your anger. He's a very big God. I think we can all agree on that. And he, above all else, just wants us to be honest with him. And if we're honestly angry, then be honestly angry. If we're honestly confused, let's just be honestly confused. But just let's bring it to him, okay? So, anyway, um, we'll just we'll get going. I just wanted to mention that." A.W. Tozer said, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So just real quick, what I want you to do is I want you to think about God and take note of what comes to your mind. Just right now. Just take, we'll take 15 seconds. Just think about God. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? What follows that? Like what? What's your visceral, immediate reaction when you think about Lord? I uh, know. Just hang on to that because we're going to get back to that. We will get back to that. And I'll, I'll, actually, I'll just while you're kind of sitting on that, I'll talk about something else. I'm going to just put uh, something else out. And again, I remember I told you this was going to be a little uneven tonight, but stay with me. Uh, Mark Twain, here we go with another quote, Mark Twain said, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. The day you are born and the day you find out why. And I, I, I uh, in regard to his reference of, of finding out why, I think we've all successfully navigated the birth part, so we'll go to the second part and And in regard to his reference of of finding a why, I believe he was referring to the importance of discovering one's purpose in life. You know, there is a sense of identity, of well-being that comes when a person connects their interests or their giftings or their passions with an environment or an occupation or a relationship that that nurtures and rewards those things. Okay? But I'm viewing the question of why we were born from a far more existential perspective. The whole, why are we here? You know, what is, what is the meaning of life? And so the, the question is, and again, more another question to ponder. We'll just take a minute, or take a couple of seconds with this. Why are we here? You don't have to answer. I will engage you in a bit, uh, but right now, just why are we here? What, what's the meaning of life? Again, just kind of see what comes to mind. Okay, well, and we'll get back to this. Um, you know, why did why did he create us to do good to lead? others to him, to fulfill calls and destinies. Those are important things, but they don't speak to our highest purpose. And this may offend some cherished doctrines, but our highest purpose is not evangelism. It's not holiness, as it's so often incorrectly understood and taught. It's not doing miracles, and it's not living in service to others. I'm not dismissing the importance of serving God and others with our lives. To do so is scriptural. It's essential. It's, you know, uh, it's better to give than to receive. Man, I'll tell you, that's a quality of life issue. Service is a wonderful thing. It, it's a gift we give and it's a gift we receive. But, but it's, it's not our highest purpose. Just as Jesus reminded um, Martha, even well-intended service can cause one to miss what God views as more important, which Mary correctly discerned by focusing on her personal relationship with God. I mean, service in and of itself can even have at the core of it wrong motivations. Think of what Jesus, dec- you know, proclaimed. He would say a uh, day of judgment at the end of the age, you know, uh, those who came to him and said, you know, Lord, we prophesied in your name and did wonders in your name and did miracles in your name. And he's going to, Hey, you know, depart from me. I don't know you. Paul wrote in, in uh, first Corinthians 13, that even people who give all their goods to feed the poor, even give their lives to be martyred. If it's not done, from a place of authentic love, it means nothing. That's kind of wild to consider, but that's what the scripture says, right? So um, what was his ultimate purpose in creating us? Absolutely. And I'm talking about his purpose for creating us, not a reason for creating us, not just for this life, for this temporary life, but for all eternity. And the reasons, and people also get hung up on this, but the reason for his creation of us in this life and also for all eternity is exactly the same. Stay with me. At the beginning of John 17, Jesus is speaking to the Father. It's right before he's going to the cross, right? And he says, this is eternal life. This is eternal life. And this is the only time he says in scripture that was recorded, this is eternal life. In our parlance, in our modern vernacular, we'd probably paraphrase that as, this is the meaning of life. But he said, this is eternal life. He said, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is the meaning of life. They may know you, the only true God, and me, Jesus, whom you have sent. One sentence, one truth, just period, full stop. Said, this is the meaning of life. That word know, to know, in that verse is the Greek word genosco, And it's the same word Jesus used in John 10, 14, and 15 when he said, I know my own and my own know me, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father. For me, that is one of the most challenging scriptures in the Bible. The reality of what he's saying there, what he's calling us to in that scripture, the implications are simply beyond anything our natural minds can understand. I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Okay. Does anyone hear? Have a relationship as intimate and profound right now in this moment in your life with the Lord, with the Father that is as deep and profound and as fulfilled as it's existed. Both in time and theoretically outside of time between Jesus and the Father. Right. We have a taste of it, right? But this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that we were created to know him and know the father with the same knowledge, intimacy, and love that exists between them. This is what the scripture says. I'm not making this up. This is what the scripture says. I'm just the guy reporting this here tonight. I'm I'm the reporter. Okay he said this is the meaning of life today tomorrow next week next year a thousand years from now a billion years from now this will be the meaning of life it is it is relationship solely for the purpose of relationship again full stop it's 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 perfect love for the the sake of perfect love no qualifiers no conditions no demands it is it is void of agenda it is relationship solely for the purpose of relationship the meaning of life it is realizing that god's greatest desire for us is to know his love as our greatest reality god's greatest desire for us is to know his love as our greatest reality. It is realizing that our greatest purpose is receiving that love and giving it in return. It is realizing that this is why we exist. And I know that that's hard to process. So many people think that we won't come into the fullness of our relationship with God until we're in eternity. And there's an element of truth to that in the sense that now we know in part, and then we shall know as we also are known. Uh, that, that, you know, we'll receive glorified bodies. You know, there's, a, there's a, um, a, a spiritual dynamic of change that will occur as we cross into, into eternity but that doesn't have anything to do with the union we have with the Lord right now. It doesn't have anything to do with the capabilities we have or the capacity we have to be in perfect relationship with him right now. You know, so many people look at the Lord as, you know, the the God they're going to be in relationship with in eternity. As somehow different from the God they're in relationship with now, but that's simply not true. John wrote in First John 5:20 he said, "The Son of God has come and given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, and in his Son." Jesus, this is the one true God, and this is eternal life. Because we are in perfect union with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have an understanding. John also wrote, you know, you you have an unction, you have an anointing, you have the capacity to be relational. We all do. And I mean relational in a profound and deep way. We are called to know the same perfect union that exists within the Trinity, within our lives. And that's the truth. You know, when it comes to intimate relationship with God, the body of Christ has set its sights far too low. we we dismiss the theology, or at least we don't emphasize the theology that directs us to abandoned intimacy with him. Some denominations even institutionally dismiss the idea that deep, personal, intimate relationship with him is possible. I know some people who, if they heard what I was sharing tonight, would say I was completely demonized. That I was insane. You know, I have an acquaintance for a number of years. We're not communicating anymore for a number of reasons. But he thought anyone who ever thought they'd heard the voice of God was demonized. He considered the Bible to be essentially a moral code. You follow the code of the Bible but you don't expect to be in relationship with God. And if you think you've heard his voice or, you know, you think there's anything to the gifts of the spirit in this day and age, then you need to be, you know, um, yeah, well, he's a pretty rigid guy. But anyway, think about what we got through the cross. We didn't get just simply redemption because that really wasn't, Ultimately, what is about the cross is about the restoration of relationship. Just think about what Paul wrote in Galatians 4. He said, When the um, how did it when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Um, and he said. And because you are, He has sent forth the Son, and He has sent forth because that He has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, whereby we cry, "Abba, Father." So we have the literal Spirit of the Son of Jesus imparted within us, who is the only perfect child who's ever existed. And who's the only perfect father who's ever existed? And we have that spirit of Jesus, that spirit of sonship. And that sounds gender specific, but it's really not. It's just childness. We have the perfect spirit of the son of being a daughter. We, can, we have the capacity to be relational by the spirit of God with the father, with the same perfection, the same, uh, the same life force, the the, the same, the, the very thing that activates us being created in the image of God is, is what is alive in us and is what, you know, people are, they can't even get past the fact they're. That the righteous in God, you know, you got people who still get hung up on, I'm just a sinner hanging on every day by the grace of God. Now, forget that you're the righteousness of God, but you're far beyond that. We're children of God. Do you know, if you take any person who's existed since the cross, and you could probably make the argument even before then, for all eternity, if you take a person and you strip them down to the absolute core of the essence of who they are, if you can somehow strip past the layers of, of what culture and society does to people and and the in the brokenness that comes through the hardship and the challenges of life. I mean, you take some any person here, strip them naked, throw them up on a mountaintop, and let them have the most real moment they can have in life, the thing that's gonna come out of their heart, even if they understand it or not, is Abba, Father, my God, my Lord. That's the heart cry of every person who exists, whether they realize it or not. The French call it the corps, the cry of the heart. It's, it's the most visceral, internalized, tied to the core and foundation of who we are, expression. Of existence. And it's within all of us. And it wouldn't be there. If it wasn't placed there. First as children created in his image. But then through the cross and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the indwelling of Christ. The Holy Spirit. activating And releasing. And giving us our identity as children of God. This is who we are. And this is the meaning of life. It really, truly is. I want to, I still got to get to my main point. Um, Okay. At the end of John 17, Jesus said, I have declared, again, speaking to the father, he said, I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. And if you think of that in tandem with what Paul wrote in Ephesians 3, he said, you know, uh, he was, he was praying at that Ephesians prayer, uh, kind of that Pauline prayer at the end of Ephesians. Uh, and he said, I pray that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, would comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height of the love of Christ, which surpasses all understanding. What is greater or bigger than that? And, and what, what really disturbs me about the truth of this and how it's either understood or not understood or emphasized or not emphasized in the Western church, it, it's found in not just in the fact it's not taught that much or, or we take ownership of it, but we, we almost shy from it. It's, it's, it's like too much for us to grasp, so we, we go on to a different subject. Think about how the church, think about like in the Western church and different denominations, how they instruct people who have just had a salvation experience. They've just come to the Lord. You know, there's an altar call, right? Person comes forward, they pray the prayer of salvation, and now at many churches, you know, it's, well, now you follow this person over here. We're going to take you into this room. We're going to pray with you. We've got some literature for you. It's all fine and good. I'm not. That's you know, not a not being harshly dismissive or anything. It's well intended. But but think about like what, or think about even in your life what you were told when you accepted the Lord. You know, when I came, I was saved as a kid. Backslid, ran like a wild child till my late twenties. Got back, you know, came in a relationship, active relationship with the Lord. One night, um, I was going to this church, this uh, charismatic church. Got completely lit up in the Holy Spirit. Didn't know what was going on. I still didn't know anything of, you know, what little I knew was wrong. But anyway, I went into the bookstore, and I was all just blasted in the Holy Spirit. And I bought a Bible, and I said, I, I am just a new Christian. I need to, you know, what do I do? Where do I start? And they said, Well. This was a word of faith church, and I love word of faith. This is is an example. But they said, well, well, the first thing you have to do is you have to learn how to speak correctly because you want to speak words of life. You don't want to speak words of death. So I got a Bible and I got Charles Capp's Faith and Confession. And I dutifully went home and started reading both and learned how to, you know, hey, that's fine. That's great. You know, other churches, you know, other people, though, what do they say? Oh, you need to start going to church now every Sunday. Or they'll tell you, well, go home and read the, read the gospel of John. Or join a men's group. Or join a woman's group. Or, what is that, BSF? Isn't there like a bio? Yeah, B- yeah, you need to join BSF. Or you need, you know, if you're like Christian, you know, if you're part of Missionary Alliance, now you need, you're saved, but now you need to learn how to lead others to the Lord. You need to take a mission trip. You need this. You need that, right? You need to learn how to pray. You should be doing a devotional every morning. Okay, so go buy a devotional. Da-da-da. What do We tell people all these different things, right? This is what you need to do. When is the last time we told someone who just opened up their heart to the Lord, now this is the most important thing. Go find out how much you are loved. When have we ever said that? I've never said that. Well, I've started in the last few years, like when I'm doing street ministry or something. But, but I mean, why isn't that the first thing we tell people? Go find out how much you are loved because that's why you exist. Build your study, build your growth, build your maturity. Build it all around that. You know, John G. Lake was funny. You know how he did most of his training at John G. Lake at the healing rooms, you know, uh, up in Spokane in the beginning of the 20th century. So people would come to him and they'd want to, you know, be a healing technician is what they called him. And He'd say, oh, great. Okay. And he would, he'd say, come in. And he'd, he'd connect them with a sick person. He'd say, okay. Say, don't come back until this person's healed. That was their training. Don't come back until this person's healed. Well, that'll separate the wheat from the chaff. Kind of bold. I maybe would have gone a little different direction. But the point is, we should be telling people, don't stop pursuing the reality of what it means to be a loved child with God. Until it is the foundation of your life. And you don't have to go away and only come back when you've learned it. We'll be here with you every step of the way. That's what we should be emphasizing. Because that's where life is. And that's where identity is. And that's who we are at the core of our being. And that's why the church is so broken and screwed up. And why the church is so powerless. And why we have so many issues. And why millennials and Gen Z's and everyone following are falling away from the church. Um, like they're running from the plague. Because people in this culture and society have gotten to the point where if it's not authentically real, they just simply aren't going to put any time into it. And until the church starts preaching the early church truth of childness and perfect love and identity found in that, we're just going to continue to, to be to lose relevance with with a lot of people in society. But it doesn't have to be that way. This is God's greatest desire for us. And what I want to close out with, though, is, you know, uh, something that he's been talking to me about for a long time now, something he really fell on me in the spirit for a couple days last week. I was completely lost in it. Let's talk a little bit more about the love of God and what that because we can say, God is love, and He is. But it's still kind of broad and nebulous. I think we would be better served, or it certainly would at least be more helpful if we could have some structure put to that. And so I'm going to do that. I'm going to just offer something up here. And again, you know. Just remember, you love me. And, you know, we're just, I'm just exploring along with you. But um, actually, let me do it this way. We know love comes from God, and we know it's profound. But what is the greatest revelation? Of God's love. What is the greatest example of God's love? And not just as it's directed toward us, but as it's existed infinitely. Because he is eternal. As it's existed eternally. And I will say this, just just think about that for a moment. And I'm also going to say that I think my answer to that is it also ties in to what I consider to be the most beautiful and amazing thing that exists in the cosmos, that's existed for all time, and that will exist for all time. So I hope I piqued your curiosity, and I hope I got you thinking. What is the most amazing thing that exists, and it existed before we were even? I submit. I submit. The most beautiful and glorious thing that has ever existed and will ever continue to exist is the perfect loving relationship found between the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. For all eternity, For all eternity, there has been the greatest love story ever told in operation. Anyone love The Princess Bride? Anyone, you know, this is true love. Anyone love that movie? It's like that on a billion kazillion steroids. Okay? This is true love. Remember True Love Prince? Okay. Um, As you wish. The, the relationship of love that has existed between the Father and Jesus in the communion of the Holy Spirit has existed for all eternity, and it is perfect love. God could reflect love in any number of ways. I mean, he's light, he's spirit, he's fire. There's, a, there's numerous revelatory and redemptive names of God. But what does he choose? How does he choose to reveal himself? How has he chosen to make his love known? It's in this divine familial union, and it existed long before we ever did. And, and in this union, there is this love, and there is this honor, and there is this joy. And the the, the Greek word that that used the early church called it periokoresis, and it means a circle dance. It's the imageries of the Father and the Son and Jesus, like literally dancing in a circle, just in absolute raptured love and joy in the perfection of that which is the Godhead, the Trinity. And it was from that perfect love, perfect honor, perfect joy that the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit said, "We want to give this up? Let's create in our image. C.S. Lewis said, God who needs nothing loves into existence holy superfluous creatures in order that he may love and perfect them not just love he said but perfect them why does why does cs lewis say perfect them because the more we're perfected the more we're matured the more reality we can uh is, we have the more reality we can live in the more love we can know so We, we, the idea of you, Ronnie, Nancy, all of us were birthed in the heart and the mind of God from this place of perfect love, family love, we will live forever in a, in, a, in a near countless family of people, right? For eternity. But we will also forever have the undivided love and attention of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as if there is only one of us. Augustine said, God loves all of us as, is, as if there were only one of us. Right now, right now, right now, in this room in Green Mountain Falls, the entire focus of the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is directed on our sister right here. She has the full, undivided attention. God can do this because he's God. We all live with the full undivided attention of the Godhead 24-7. And the filter and the prism through which he is viewing us in totality 24-7 is that same prism of perfect love that exists within the Trinity itself. We couldn't be closer to God. We couldn't be more loved. So don't just think about God as love. Put some imagery to that. Make it personal to you. See yourself enveloped in that periokaresis. You know, he's big enough to continue the familial love fest, even as he deals with the madness of the world. Do you think the craziness of the world like not like stops the Father and Jesus from relationship? Do you think that they're like somehow diminished by the fact that our political system is broken? Or that, you know China's trying to take over the world? I mean, do you really think that that's a big stressor for them? Do you think that interferes? with what they've been celebrating for time immemorial. So, I said at the beginning, I said, you know, I I quoted A.W. Tozer. What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Think about what you thought about when I first said that, beginning the teaching. And think about him now. And I hope maybe to some degree you're even thinking a little different now than you did then. I hope at least to some degree when you're thinking, when you think of him, you think of him as your perfect loving father. And you think of yourself as his perfectly loved child. And maybe. Even in the days ahead, you'll think of yourself in the context of this perfect love that has always existed within the Trinity. Now, Trinitarian theology is something I didn't even understand or even begin to study until probably three, four years ago. But as I did and began to learn that this was how the early church and the patriarchs and the desert fathers... A lot of the even to this day, even the Eastern Orthodox, they always understood God this way. This this was this was just this was this was Christianity 101. Yeah, you know, evangelism, great. Helping out others, fantastic. And, you know, you know, showing people the heart of the Father. It's really important. Let's get first things first. Let your mind expand. Let your spirit soar. Ask God, is Paul crazy? Or really, is it your greatest desire? It's like my highest purpose to know your love as my greatest reality. And if you even remotely think, the answer is yes. Well, then do something about it. Pursue it like you've pursued other kingdom truths. Pursue it like you've pursued the gifts of the Spirit or, or developing the fruit of the Spirit or learning about eschatology and end times. Put a little effort into it. I'll tell you this if you do. You start taking time. Especially maybe along you know, contemplative lines. That's really been a game changer for me. Just to shut up and get quiet before the Lord on a consistent basis. I mean, again, no agenda, just God, I'm your child. You're a perfect father. I'm just going to meditate on that. That's always a good place to start with contemplative prayer. You do that with any consistency, your life will never be the same. If you do that with consistency and Three months have gone by and nothing's happened. You come find me, and I will apologize for apparently having lied, and I'll uh, I'll, I'll send you a fruit basket. I don't know. I'm sorry, but I just I'll find a way to try and make it up to you. But I won't have to because he'll meet you there. So. Think about your identity and be willing to explore the reality that the way you are perfectly loved is something that you can explore and live in, not just today and tomorrow, but for the rest of your life. And this is why you were created. So, glory to Abba Father. Uh, I'm sorry, I I thought we were going to stop and... I kind of got going there and thought we'd have a little more dialogue, but I'd like some input. I'd like, you know, if somebody has a thought on, on anything I've shared, um, I would sh- certainly like to hear it. Or a question, or a comment, or just a derisive insult. I'll, I'll take it all. The thoughts, the thoughts that I had. And I'm I'm happy that I had them because I don't know that they were always that way. Okay. When I think when I thought about God initially, what is your thought when you think of God? I thought loving and accepting, embracing. Yeah. That's a good thought. That's I was gonna say that's a That's a good thought. And when you when you said, Well, so then what were we created for? My initial thought was family. Oh. Wow. I didn't even need to be here tonight. <laughs> no, you did. Because you expounded on things and you gave us a context of why the early church was so willing to go through what they went through. We think we're going through stuff right now. And I'm not saying that it's insignificant. That's not what I'm saying. But we look back at the, the early church and
1: wow. Right. It's for that love. Two cents.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Uh,
1: when the question was asked, you know, who do you think God is? It's kind of funny because my thought was po opposite to your thought. And um, yes, I thought of God as law,
0: um, you know, structure. In the law. Did you just say law? Law. Law yeah. and structure. Yeah, law and structure. Well, I am glad you're here tonight, or at least I'm here tonight. Well, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but... I don't
1: know, I th- I thought about God as law, rules, structure, and um, principles. I guess it's hard for me to see God as love because I guess I was raised a little different. You know, my culture is a little different. More on perfection. and. <laughs> sure. So, I mean... I can try to get my head wrapped around what you're saying, but it's um kinda of hard for me. I don't think in terms of old testament, it's very strict like, you know, you sin, you die, you know. I do recognize the grace of Jesus and his his atonement on the cross and all that. I understand I understand that, that far. But to um to be I'm being real, real, okay? Yeah, well, that's, so I, I apologize the do if I'm being too real. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry, but I I don't see myself as a, I don't feel myself as a, a child as love. It's kind of like, I think that's wrong. But I feel that I have to work for love. I and I'm being real, real right now. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, I I felt that way. I felt that I have to. I understand. Earn love. You know, lo- love is not freely given, and. I guess most people unconsciously may serve others or being evangelists because they want to show either, number one, they want to show that they love God or they want to earn love from God. It says, attaboy, good job. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not and I'm sorry, I'm being real, real. They're not, there's a difference in saying God loves me, I feel love, so now I can share that love with others, and that would be evangelism in the true form yeah. from what you just taught us. Okay. Yeah. Or I'm going to help this person because not that I'm obligated because I'm a Christian, but because I feel God's love for me. So then I want to share the love. So I feel move and compassion to help the person, you know, but I don't know to go from where I'm at to where you taught us.
0: See, um, you know, just as a general rule, If we feel, if our emphasis is more on what we think we need to do for God, as opposed to what he's done for us, right away you can just tell someone's out of balance. You have to consider what God has done for us. And just let that be kind of a foundational fact that it's not about what we do, it's about what he's done. And that we find our lives in his life in us. And then, in terms of, you know, like a practical place to start, you know, I would just start with the, uh, I, I would start just taking some time meditating just on what I shared at the end on the relationship that exists between the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And, and just remind yourself that in, from that perfect relationship, of love, you were born, you were birthed, you were imagined, you were and you were invited into that. And you know, you're gonna it's gonna take some time. You have to kind of renew your mind to this, and your spirit's gonna have to come out of dormancy in this area and cry out to the Lord. But but it's you know, it's it's just a simple step, one step at a time, right? Well, thank you for. Opening your heart, and I appreciate you all coming. I'll just close with a word of prayer if you don't mind. Can I hand you that? So don't serve feeding back. Um, oh, Lord. Okay, just I'm sorry. One more thing, really quick. I just want you to imagine this. Just imagine we're in eternity now. We're on the other side of this life, right? Do, we, do, do any of us struggle imagining the perfection of love that we are in? Do any of us, you know, do we feel any insecurity? Do we, you know, we worried about having food on the table or bills paid? I mean, what is what is the the sense of who we are in eternity? Right? It's 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 family. It's we are above all else. Hey, the you know streets of gold are great. Angels are great. You know, million choir worship whatever, but it's all gonna come back to family all comes back to family. So just see that now in your heart and in your mind's eye and bring that into your reality right here. Live this now. We have this now. This comes from our perfect union with him now, our perfect relationship with him now. So Father, that's what we pray. We just Lord, I just ask that that you would grow our capacity not to obtain, because it's not about that, but to discover more and more of what you've already placed inside of us. Not just yourself, but the reality, that spirit of, of your son crying out in our hearts. Father, I just ask that you would magnify that and multiply that in every person within the sound of my voice. I thank you for this, Father, in your name, Jesus. Amen.